0: To the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Ventriest and the destination. Taipei, the 1910s. Taiwan has been known for a number of products over the years. In the 17th century, it was deerskins. In the 19th century, it was camphor and tea. But there's one local product that's equaled big business through almost all of Taiwan's recorded history. Sugar. And in an otherwise unremarkable Taipei neighborhood, you'll find a monument to the sugar business. The sugar factory cultural area. You'd be hard pressed to find a better retelling of this sweet piece of Taiwan's history than what you'll find inside here. This was once a sugar factory. And while today only three simple warehouses remain, The exhibit inside the main warehouse gives us a picture of the factory in its prime and shows us what came even earlier. Today, we're heading inside to explore the story of an industry that's touched every period of Taiwan's past. The story is told in a big loop that moves around the otherwise empty floor of its warehouse home. The paintings, old photographs and memorabilia in here pop out in the low lighting. It's hard to know where to begin because there's no exact date we can put on Sugar's start here. All we can be really sure of is that outsiders quickly realized its value. Big Sugar got its start in Taiwan after 1624. That year, the Dutch East India Company set up shop in the south of Taiwan, and Dutch merchants worked hard to make the area's sugar a hot commodity. They enticed Chinese sugarcane farmers to immigrate to their Taiwan colony and they introduced cattle to the island to help these farmers out. Production boomed, and Taiwanese sugar was soon sold abroad. Thirty-seven years later, the Dutch were expelled from Taiwan at the hands of the half-Chinese warlord Koxinga. At the time, it might have seemed like sugar would be tossed out with the rest of the Dutch legacy. Koxinga needed rice to feed his men, and that meant a drop in sugar production. But sugarcane put the cash in cash crop. During its brief existence, Kokxinga's kingdom was able to produce more sugar than even the Dutch had. It seems to be a pattern that repeats over and over. There are all kinds of twists and turns in Taiwan's history, but after each one of them, sugar always seems to come out on top. That's what happened after the next big change, when Koksinga's family ran out of luck. Imperial China took over his private kingdom in 1683, And despite ups and downs, Taiwan sugar producers seem to do well. On one wall, there's a list of things that people back across the Taiwan Strait used to say about Taiwan. They've got money up to their ankles. Plant for one winter there and you can eat for three. The way they're written here, they almost sound envious. When we check in again over a century later, things are still going well. For sugar workers, the 19th century was a time of prosperity, even as imperial China suffered. During this period, Western powers used force to open imperial ports to trade. And as they did so, Taiwanese sugar found new buyers in Europe, the US, and Australia. A British consular report of the period notes that workers making sugar in Taiwan were pulling in wages double or triple what their fellow workers across the Taiwan Strait could hope to earn. Even farm workers on a sugar plantation could afford imported European clothes. This wealth doesn't seem to have changed much about how sugar was made. Black and white photographs show that cattle-drawn grindstones were still being used to crush sugar. Taiwan's next colonizer would change that. In 1895, after a war with Imperial China, Japan took possession of Taiwan. Sugar was an early priority, and work began to bring Taiwan sugar production into the industrial age. Among the new mechanized factories set up was the one we're standing in, founded in the 1910s by a new company, the Taipei Sugar Manufacturing Company. Its state-of-the-art machinery processed sugar cane from all over the Taipei area, sent in by rail, boat, and even ox cart. It was a bit of an outlier as far as sugar factories go, Most of the action in this business happened in the sunny, tropical south. Here in rainy, cool Taipei, this was Taiwan's northernmost sugar factory. But it thrived, even after another company bought it out. Not all was well in sugarland, though. As production sped up, Taiwan's latest generation of sugar farmers were ready to revolt. They could only sell to a small group of government-approved companies. And everything was done on the company's terms, including setting the asking price. These companies would weigh the sugar cane and their measurements were also final. As one group of farmers from central Taiwan found out, the numbers that came out of these scales weren't always the most accurate. Suspecting the worst, these farmers got three local officials to stand on one of these scales. The combined weight of three grown men, 49 kilograms. The plight of the sugarcane farmer was put into song, with lyrics written on one wall here lamenting slave-like conditions. In 1925, farmers' anger erupted, sending more than 30 of them to jail and opening up the way for more labor unrest through the end of the 1920s. None of that dampened enthusiasm for sugar, though. 1935 was supposed to be a big year. Japan had ruled Taiwan for 40 years by this point, and a huge expo was set up to showcase the good sides of colonization. Sugar was a big part of this. It even got its own pavilion. Unfortunately, the photo here only shows the pavilion when it was empty. But records show that this was a happening place. Over the several weeks of the expo, 500,000 people showed up here just to enjoy a free cup of ice-cold Taiwan sugar water. But in 1935, the expo was just one place giving a rosy view of sugar's potential. The sugar of the East comes from Taiwan. That's the caption on a triumphant illustration done that year showing Taiwanese sugar flowing to the rest of East Asia. It was a strange thing, though no one at the time could have known it. Just a few years down the road, war would bring Taiwan's sugar production to a new peak before sending it crashing through the floor fighting between Japan and China broke out in 1937 and as Japanese colonial subjects, workers in Taiwan's sugar industry were told that they would now use their sugar to serve the nation. Production surged. But then other countries got involved in the fighting as the war spread to Southeast Asia and the Pacific. It seems that some of Taiwan's sugar bosses assumed that Southeast Asia would soon be theirs and they made arrangements to move on. Some even closed up their Taiwan factories altogether. Then hardship started hitting home. Sugar cane fields were given over to rice and sweet potatoes. And some factories where sugar had been processed were repurposed as chemical plants meant to help the war effort. This sugar factory shuttered in 1943. Sugar production wouldn't return here again. Yet, Taiwan's sugar industry carried on. Japan left Taiwan at the end of the war and handed it over to the Chinese nationalists. This new government set up its own Taiwan sugar company and for a time during the 50s and 60s, the company turned sugar into one of Taiwan's chief exports. So what happened to the sugar industry? Why is Taiwanese sugar probably something you've never heard of? Given all the big changes it had pulled through, the answer is a bit anticlimactic. Changes in the market. Prices fell during the 1980s, and since 1991, something strange has happened. Taiwan has become a sugar importer. After the war, bits of the factory were knocked down or sold off as whatever was left over was put to new uses. In 1997, though, when plans to build a nursing home at the site were discussed, local residents protested. They wanted there to be a park here, and they wanted the remains of the old factory to be a part of it. The old warehouses are a focal point for the neighborhood. Early on, the place even changed its official name to Sugar Factory Neighborhood, a name it still has today. In the park today, you'll find a statue of a cattle-drawn grindstone in use, a replica of the train that once served the factory, and of course, a plot of land set aside for raising sugar cane. It's this neighborhood's piece of a Taiwanese story that once saw this island sweeten the whole world. I'm John Van Trieste,